As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We Need Each Other is a podcast about the importance of human interaction. It provides reminders that we are not intended to live in isolation. Human beings need each other. The things about another that pisses you off and the things that take you over the moon are all opportunities to see through another's eyes, recognize their intrinsic value, and then look more deeply within ourselves to find the love that's always there. It is Black History Month. And we need each other because we need to understand our history. Our history as black people has been withheld from us for so long, but it's out there and available. And we get to talk to people who can help to explain our history. And this today's guest is one of those people. Denise Mins Harris is a lifelong grassroots activist, sister, teacher, wife, mother, grandmother, dancer, Buddhist, and professional fundraiser for a wide variety of national and local political, educational, progressive, nonprofit, and advocacy organizations. Denise was born in New York City. Her father, a black man named Al Mins, married her Jewish mother, Audrey Sands, in 1949 when their marriage was illegal in most of the United States. He was a world-renowned jazz dancer. They had six children, There were instances, she recalls, her mother responding to racist attacks. As she was growing up, her father was touring the world and appearing on TV and in movies. Whenever he would return home from touring, he would hypnotize her with stories of the countries he performed in and how people in countries like Brazil and Nigeria lived. At 14, she became a youth member of the Black Panther Party. At 16 years old, a 10th grade high school student, she talked her way into being accepted at the State University of New York College of Old Westbury, where her revolutionary leanings became even more informed and polished. Her parents' example of courage taught her to never acquiesce to the status quo and be willing to fight for what you believe in, especially your dreams. This has been the touchstone of her life. I welcome you, Denise Mins Harris. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you on this episode. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to get the invitation. Yay. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm curious. Can you tell us what you mean when you say you are a grassroots activist? Well, um, In my experience, being a grassroots activist means that you're not waiting for someone else to tell you when it's time to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier, we were talking about the fact that that I'm a Buddhist, and and the, the, you know, Buddhism as I practice it, it's very uh, about very focused on you know self development, and through your self development, that's one by one how the world will change. So it's not the type of movement that really gets involved in movements, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but me being black and of this country, uh, you can't just, that's not, that wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. And so I remember um, an example is uh, in, in 2000, uh, there was the shooting up of the Jewish Community Center in Granada Hills. Uh, 
Mm. And out of that came this drive uh, to have the Million Mom March in D.C. And people were organizing all across the country. It was was the budding beginning of the the revolution to really do something about guns. Mm -hmm. Uh, I myself had had a personal experience uh, of a gun being drawn on me in the process of a robbery. So... Uh, you know, I went to my, I went to the organization. And I'm like, we need to be a part of this Million Mom March because internally there was this movement called Victory Over Violence, which was a very nice catchphrase internally, but who knew about it? And I thought it was an amazing concept, this idea of conquering the violence in your own life as a means to conquer violence in the world. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, mm-hmm. So I went through many channels within the organization. There was a lot of reluctance to step out, but uh, I kept chanting about it. We, we chant a phrase, Nami Renge Kyo. I kept chanting about it and talking about it and really trying to keep my ego out of it because that is the key to being a successful grassroots activist, mm-hmm. that people hear your purpose and your passion without your judgment that they don't see it as you see it in them. Yes, yes, yes. So lo and behold, they finally said, okay, go ahead and do it. So I make this announcement. Uh, I research how to get a bus. Uh, If all of us who wanted to get on a bus, which was 50 of us, uh, paid $5, we could afford afford to rent a bus. Mm -hmm. And we got all these cards made that we were going to approach people and get them to sign it, that they take a pledge to for victory over violence in their own lives. And so here, these 50 women, all grown women, all mothers, we get on this bus, we go downtown to where the event is happening, and it was the most inspiring day. Mm. And lo and behold, the, the organizational uh, photographer, got wind of it, came to pictures. Uh, the international president heard about it and sent a note of congratulations. And it was written up in the national magazine as a great accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And so grassroots activists means that to me, yes. that you see a need, you communicate, you, you check your ego. Because if your ego gets in it, no one wants to listen. Right. So right. that's what I mean by grassroots activists, that you, you see an opportunity, you communicate, you organize, you take action. That's, that's measurable. Thank you. And that's what we need more of, isn't it? It really is. It mm-hmm. really, really is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so so I was I was very appreciative. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> my dad, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, there was, you know, my generation was the one being taught to, to go under the, the desks at school. <laughs> like yes, that. yes, yes. <laughs> like somehow that, us, yes. somehow that would protect us if a nuclear bomb dropped. Right, I remember and, those days. Yeah, and I remember my dad saying to me one day, and, and you know, the, the, the communists or communist scare would be on the news, and... I wasn't old enough to understand it, but I knew people were talking about dropping bombs, and that that scared me. Right. And uh, I remember crying to him one day when he was home, like, what's going to happen? They're going to drop a bomb. And he said, I didn't even understand what he was talking about, but he said, we will never have a fight with communists. He said, we will go to war over oil in the Mideast. This was in the 60s. What year was this? In the 60s. Like 60, wow. 61, 62. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was an elementary school child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was calling it then. Mm-hmm. Then. But, you know, s- such is the benefit of having a father who travels the world, which I know we'll we travel talk about the world. More yes, right. Yeah, which yeah. I know we'll talk about <laughs> more later on about him and his impact on mm-hmm. jazz mm-hmm. and me in particular. Well, it's certain that you have, you are a living example of black history. You yourself are an example of black history. And I'm just curious, when was the point where you first realized that thing called racism or discrimination? Or like, when did you realize that you were in a category that was called, back in those days, colored, maybe? 
Uh, colored Negro, Negro. Colored Negro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did all the transitions. <laughs> I know. Me too. I, I say I was born colored, then I was a Negro, then I was black, then I was African American, and now I call myself a native black. So, yeah. When was the first time you realized um, that? Do you remember? I, re- I remember um, knowing there was a. I remember knowing there was a difference when we were going through transitioning from colored to Negro Mm -hmm. and Negro to black. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, I went through observing my mother, dealing with racism. I grew up, uh, my, my cousins would go on the freedom marches in the South and come home and visit us and tell us the stories, the, the frightening stories. But I didn't understand terms like racism, but I I felt that there was a great wrong occurring. I felt there was great evil in the world. And because of the books that were in my dad's library, like, you know, 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro and things like that, by looking at those books and seeing those pictures, I knew that people got lynched. I knew great evil was out in the world. It was as I came towards, you know, I think part of my, I'm digressing now, but but I'm going another, but I think part of the fact that I went to a segregated elementary school. So because I went to a segregated elementary school, and, and our classrooms were surrounded with pictures of people like Whitney Young and Harriet Tubman and all these great black heroes that we heard about all the time because I was in a segregated school. I grew up with a sense of pride and mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my teachers were mostly black or Jewish. And those little Jewish teachers were just as committed as those black teachers that we get it. So um, it was a gradual uh, recognition, you know, my, my, and again, I I can't talk about those periods without talking about my dad because he played such a major role. I mean, my dad proudly was uh, one of the first members of the American Communist Party. Mm. But I knew that it was because of the communist movement that we had labor, labor unions and child labor laws and unemployment. And so I knew that the communists weren't necessarily all bad. Now they got taken right. over, right. but at the point that he was a party of it, it was about people and workers' rights and health rights. And Absolutely. actually much of what, actually much of what the Black Panther Party uh, became. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it wasn't um, a moment of epiphany. There was a moment of epiphany when I, my life said, I have to do something about this. Right. I have to do something about this. And, and that's when I was 14 years old and uh, we got bussed out to an all-white school in the fancy suburbs of Bayside, Queens of New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was like, we were lucky in our neighborhood. We were lucky if our parents could throw a party for our sweet 16. But uh, in Bayside, Queens, girls got those little white girls got cars mm-hmm. for their sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, and they had all the label shoes and label clothes. And, and I, I began to feel like something's really wrong. And and there were no black counselors or black teachers. And teachers would say they they call on us in the classroom and say, uh, when you answer to the best of your ability, didn't they teach you people anything? And then mm-hmm. the class would laugh at us. Mm. And we were lucky if there was more than one of us in a class. In a class, yeah. So you know what I did? I organized the students and we shut that damn school down. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And and. and you had that awareness because of your 
upbringing and because of what had occurred in your life prior to being in that environment. You know, I just, I wonder sometimes exactly. the person that's in that environment that did not have your background, your upbringing, what did that do to them? You know, that's just such a, well, how fortunate well, you, you know, were to those, have the, the start that you did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I met some of those kids in college. I met black kids in college. I can think of two specifically who pretty much grew up in all white communities, all white mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. Uh, and had never had that immersion mm-hmm. with their own people. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the young man talking to me one day in the cafeteria, and he's like, I feel like a fish out of water. Mm. I, I don't, I, mm. He said, I feel like I belong in neither world. I don't know where I fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I, what could I say? I said, hang out with me. That, we're closing this mother down, too. I closed down my university. <laughs> just, just go with the flow. You'll figure right. it out. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so. beautiful. That's beautiful. That's a, I mean, just that in itself is a beautiful story because, you know, I've been asked the question uh, by young people, young black people. Was it better that we integrated you know, was that better for us? And, you know, it's almost like it had to happen, but we lost a lot when we weren't. I didn't grow up in a black school. I grew up in, thank God, not an all white school that had. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Enough black people that I had my people, but I was still in a white environment that wasn't looking to make sure that I was okay. You know, it's why I went to a, you know an historically what, black yes. college and made sure my daughter right. went to an historically black college because yes. I wanted her to have people right. who cared about her and knew that she was okay. Yes. Yes, yes. What and were you and I say? made sure my sons went to... And, mm. Well, um, you know, in elementary school, for me, I thought everybody sang the Star Spangled Banner, and then lift every voice. Because we did both songs every morning. Right, no. So when my my sons were growing up, it was very natural to me to teach them that song. Yes. And when my my oldest, his first HBCU, he went one year to Grambling, and then he transferred over to Xavier, right before, graduated right before Katrina. But my, my joy was when he did, they did this whole indoctrination ceremony, when he went to Grambling, and part of it was to sing Lift Every Voice. And I was so proud that I had taught my son that. I'm sure they, I don't know, but I would assume they still sing it in the black churches. Well, my kids grew up in the Buddhist community, so they yeah. wouldn't have learned that right. yeah. in the Buddhist community. But I taught them Lift Every Voice. I did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. who knew that years later, he could probably sing with his schoolmates, you know, yes. the, the National Black Anthem, which is such mm-hmm. a great song. Such a you know, great song. I don't know song. why everybody don't sing it, actually. Everybody should yeah, be everybody singing should it. Sing it. You know, so funny, I found myself singing it the other day, just spontaneously. 
And I was thinking about the words of the song. We should be singing the song, you know? Absolutely. Exactly. Well, there's there's some, every now and then this mild movement comes along to, uh, you know, make it the new national anthem. We'll see. Maybe our grandchildren will do it. I don't know. Yes. Right. But it's a great song. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, Denise, what was it like for you growing up with your black father and your white mother? You said your mother experienced the racism. Well, it's it's kind of weird because, uh, you know, as black people, we have to deal with our own stuff, particularly in those days. And, you know, my father, my father was a very chocolate colored man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the fact that he married a white woman, it's interesting because he was a dancer. You know, my Bible beaten Baptist fat, black family wasn't that keen on him. But then he mm-hmm. married a white woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was lightening mm-hmm. the family up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that made, that opened some doors a little, some cracks. Uh, I, I forget it. I mean, I was when I was born, my hair was blonde, so they were like, "Woo woo!" They were happy yeah. about that. Uh, right. Interesting. Conversely, yeah. conversely, my mother's family, being Holocaust survivors, they wanted no parts of this and no parts of us. To this day, I have first cousins I've never met. Mm. They kept. They went exit stage left, and and because my father is the only surviving child on that side of the family. In other words, I have no cousins. Mm. So fascinating. Uh, be that as it may. <laughs> Not that I care. Yeah. Uh, except as a, as, you know, I, as a political statement. I mean, I had lots of loving friends as I was yeah. growing up, so it didn't bother me. But, um, you know, so, so, you know, I, I, the first time I heard the word nigger was when, you know, my mother had taken my sisters and I shopping. And um, as I said, when we were young, we blonde hair, very fair. I mean, I'm the darkest one of all of us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the, the woman, a white woman was on the checkout line with my younger sister, who for all intents and purposes looks white. And uh, she was admiring how pretty Melody is. And my sister and I had been looking for purses for our Easter outfits. Mm -hmm. Remember when you had the little purse and clothes? Oh, yes, indeed. I absolutely remember. Yes. Loved Easter for that reason. Oh, God, yes. Oh, For only that reason. And your ankles with lace. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, we ran to my mother with, uh, you know, with our purses that we had found. Mommy, mommy, look. And this woman, I will, I can still see her face 60 years later. This woman screwed up her entire face, looked at my mother and said, nigger lover. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother, the, the, fa- the expression on her face of pain, mm-hmm. like, she, I remember she threw her coat around me, like somehow that would protect me from the sound. Cause I was like, I was the only one saying, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Everybody else was quiet, but I'm like, what mommy, what, what happened? What happened? And tears. And she, she just left our stuff there and got us out the store. Oh, and I'm like, my purse, my purse. How so, old were you? You know, and then. Mm, Roundabout. Nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eight or nine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and she she wouldn't talk about it, and my dad was in like Spain or something, mm-hmm. so there was no one to talk about it to, and I and my grandmother on my dad's side, Mama Ruby, she lived with us. So Mama Ruby told me everything. Wait, you had a but Mama Ruby? Wait, way. hold up, you had a Mama, Mama Ruby? Mama, yeah, Mama Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Okay, I had a Mama Ruby. I just had to check that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Mama Ruby lived with us, and when I asked her, I said, "What was that? What was that?" She was like, we don't say that word in here. Okay, well, that left me totally in the blind. Yeah. Until I got older and realized what had happened. It was like, they just wanted to protect us. Yeah. You know, they they didn't want us to have to even address it. Mm-hmm. So I, I get it, you know. And then there was another time, um, I remember this was uh, 
in terms of my dad's experience. He, uh, at this point, you know, it was in the early, late 60s, early 70s, mid 60s to early 70s, put it that way. And uh, all the big clubs had closed. The big bands were no longer playing all over the city where he would perform. Mm -hmm. uh, classical, traditional jazz dance as created during the swing era to jazz music, mm -hmm. which is why it was called jazz dance. Mm -hmm. uh, they just weren't getting the bookings. And, uh, but my dad, and, and so money was really tight. And my dad had uh, gotten all excited because a Broadway choreographer had called him and wanted to meet with him about choreographing a Broadway show. Don't ask me the name, he never told me. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we were all excited and he got all dressed and went for his interview in the city and he came home crestfallen uh, because the guy wanted him to choreograph but he wanted him to do it ghost this white guy and he was going to put his name on my phone mm. wow and so mm. Uh, mm. so i asked my dad i'm like well what did you say yeah right because <laughs> i'm thinking like we need the money and uh he said uh i told him to kiss my ass and walk down mm. Mm. i understood i understood i said okay daddy okay we'll be okay Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I Let's I, talk about I, you. I want to hear about your dad. Let's talk about your dad. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> your dad. Al Almin. Uh, <laughs> we said at the same time. <laughs> right. He um he he was born in Newport News, Virginia. And uh his father was David Mintz. And he came up, as happened during the Great Migration, he came up before my grandmother uh, to settle up and get them established, mm -hmm. except uh, he didn't settle for them. So my grandmother got tired of waiting. Mm -hmm. so she packed up my dad, came to New York, <laughs> saw him living with some chick. Uh, he invited them to come in too. She told him, deuces. She left, got, got her own place, uh, she uh, would do prostitutes' hair in the kitchen for 25 mm -hmm. cents a head. <laughs> and when she could get some work as a domestic worker, she did. Um, and my dad, at about seven or eight years old, started dancing on the corner. So, so we're now talking about 1928. Mm -hmm. He was born in 1920. Mm -hmm. So he's dancing on the corners of Harlem with his friends. And they would work the corners and collect money. And after they got all of that, they'd go to another corner and dance and collect. And at that time, it was just like the Charleston and that, that kind of dancing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was his way of uh, helping to support his mother. Um, he completed about a seventh grade education. You'll, you'll, you'll hear him tell people he graduated high school. That's not true. Uh, he, he, there's a lot of interviews with him on YouTube, and I can always tell when he likes somebody because if he liked the person interviewing, he told him the truth. If he didn't like him, he'd say any old stuff. If he just judged <laughs> him, he'd say, "Oh yes, I saw stuff." Uh, it's okay because I get a, I, I get a kick out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then at 18 years old, he um, he won the Harvest Moon Ball, which was the biggest dance competition in the world, bar none, for every genre of, of mm. partner dancing. Mm. Um, and so he won at 18 years old. It was his first attempt at it. Wow. He won that in the Lindy Hop. Oh, in the and, Lindy Hop. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, but he never called himself a Lindy Hop dancer. I have a, um, a, a sheet, a call sheet of one of the shows he did. And there'd be, there was like 16 different dance genres that he did. The Lindy Hop, Tap, Snake Hips, uh, uh, Apple, Big Apple, mm. just a ton of 
spank the baby. Just a lot of that was a cute dance, and and uh, so 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 that's what he did. He danced, and he at twenty one years old. Actually, he was nineteen. At nineteen years old, the the Savoy Ballroom was the number one Mindy Hop Club mm-hmm. in New York City, mm-hmm. and there you would be anointed, so to speak. And so the anointed one at that time was a man by the name of Leon James. Now, what that meant was when you came into the Savoy, and you have to understand the Savoy had like this amazing floor that bounced, Mm. danced, Mm. and all the big bands would come. Uh, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, my dad likes to tell the story that when the when the bands came, it was actually the the dancers auditioning them. If the dancers didn't like you, you couldn't. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So my dad came into the Savoy knowing that there was a circle over there that he was not supposed to dance in. That only Leon could dance in that circle. Uh. But. Now you see where I get it from. Uh-huh. He took his little ass over there <laughs> and danced in that circle. And like the people, the people were like all outraged and, you know, they wanted to do something. But Leon saw something in him uh-huh. and he made them leave him alone. Mm. And when he finished dancing, they had a, a small exchange. And basically my dad doing some damage control uh, I hope to be as good as you one day, Mr. James. Yes, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you you, just keep working at it. I, I see something in you. Well, he became a part of the dance company that came out of the Savoy called Whitey's Lindy Hoppers. Mm-hmm. And they have the most famous Lindy Hop dance number in the world, bar none. It's a scene from the movie Hell's a Poppin'. Mm. H-E-L-L-Z-A-P-O-P-P-I-N. Apostrophe. And it's and it's on YouTube and it has I have seen many folks try to duplicate that routine. They ain't ready. They yeah, ain't ready. yeah. I've and, seen it. I've watched uh, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So my dad is the guy in the short white tuxedo. I think he's the third or fourth yes. guy. Out. And uh uh and it's it's very interesting because he was twenty one he um, he uh, told me that they were dancing on concrete, mm. all of that, and mm. and they did it for the whole day, over mm. and over on concrete. Wow. Which wow. for a dancer is just, and they, you know, and they did it full out, balls to the oh, wind. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Every yeah. single time, it, it, it's an amazing routine, and it, it, you know, it kind of like there's something in my opinion you don't touch. Like, I think people should really look to their laurels before they try to sing anything by Aretha Franklin. Like, don't even step out there singing Aretha unless you really got it like that. Right. A lot of people sing Aretha, they don't have it like that. I feel the same way about Hell's a Poppin'. They are adequate, Lindy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply top dancers but they ain't got it like that yeah so uh so that that began my father you know traveling all over the world as a matter of fact that's how he met my mom mm. my mom but her little jewish family goes sneaking out of the suburbs to harlem <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and uh and for them it was love at first sight mm -hmm. and uh you know and they they were willing to they didn't care You know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, and it was against the law for them to marry. It was against the law. And, you know, it took me into my adulthood to let go of my deep resentment of the pain her family caused her. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I overheard her once, you know, just crying on the phone, begging her mother to come see her and mm. come meet her beautiful children. Mm. And I did. I mean, they came once or twice. But my mom was, uh, I like to say my mom was this little tiny Jewish lady with a spine made out of steel. But like me, like many women, your soft spot, no matter how hard you are, how tough you are, how strong you are, your soft spot is your family. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you live. That's where you experience your pain and your joy. Yeah. And uh, and it, it hurt her. But, you know, she's a badass if he mess with her kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so my dad uh, had this amazing career traveling all over the world, uh, which which, you know, made me kind of different from my my friends because mm -hmm. I grew up with a world view and the sense of my place in it. I grew up with my father telling me, don't ever let anyone tell you you're a minority. There are more of us in the world than anybody else. And then he'd laugh. You know what I mean? Like, like so, so I did have this different kind of uh, natural awareness. It wasn't even something I felt the need to run around talking about like I know something you don't know. Right. It, it was a natural awareness of, of my place in the world and a very natural rejection of this foolishness of mm -hmm. segregation and police brutality. And I remember uh, I, was, I was 14, I was hanging out at the Panther Party headquarters and um, we were getting ready. Columbia University owned a lot of slums in Harlem and a kid had fallen down an elevator shaft and died because Columbia had refused to do the repairs. Mm. So us young people of the Panther Party were organizing a demonstration and I of course was the spokesperson running my mouth to the press <laughs> every day telling them telling them what's coming up and you know I knew that Uh, the day we were going to do the action, I was probably going to be arrested. My dad thought I was going to school every day. I was not. <laughs> I, I was uh, doing political action. And, uh, but, but, you know, it was time to let him know in case I got arrested. Yeah. And my father was very strict about our education and yeah. how important it was. And da, 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 da. And you know, don't bring home no weird report cards. Da 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 da. Mm -hmm. And so um, I go to him with much trepidation because I'd been cutting out all the clippings of the different uh, meetings I'd had that the press had written up, and it would always just say a spokesperson for the 
Black Panther Party, the youth mm-hmm. one, youth division. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I said, Papa, look at this. And so he glanced through it a little bit, and he's like, "What's this?" I said, "That spokesperson's me, and I'm going to be there tomorrow." And but I'm kind of saying it defiantly, like you're not going to stop me, right? Right, right. But he knew me, and and I and I'm like, you know, and I'll probably get arrested. And uh, he looked at me and he said, um, and inside I'm trembling. And he looked at me and he said, "I only wish I would have had the opportunity to do this when I was mm. your age." Mm. And, and what so age were you? you? Fourteen. Fourteen. And he said, Fourteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I have to mortgage this house, you will only be in jail as long as it takes me to get down there with the money. Mm. So now I had my daddy behind okay, me. Okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm okay. I was I'm you on know, my way. Good news is, I, <laughs> right, right. Good news is, you know, we didn't get arrested. Uh, although I, I, there were other times as I got older that, you know, they took us away and then let us go, just annoying everybody. But uh, yeah, that that was my my dad's support of what I was doing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, tell me your favorite place that he told you about that he visited around the world. What did you have a? Oh, because I, I know he told Brazil. you stories of his travel. Brazil. Mm. Brazil. Mm-hmm. Brazil, because he was he and. Uh, uh, Norma Miller, who was one of the people he danced with, uh, with Whitey's Lindy Hoppers, they went to Brazil before the start of World War II as a dance company to perform. And um, he came back talking about the, the just the mm, the non-racialism of it, how all the people was so was so racially mixed. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the food, and he talked about the dress, and he talked about the warmth. And then, uh, and, and, and he said, and I was there for, you know, so long. And when I was talking to Norma, actually two months before she died, she told me that, uh, and he would always talk about Brazil. It would be one of his, you know, I was thinking, and then he would tell me about a restaurant, or he would tell me about a food. And Norma said that what happened was they... They went to Brazil as a dance company, and uh, it was right before World War II broke out. And then World War II broke out, which mm-hmm. meant because they had come over in a boat. The Japanese had come in with their ships, and no boat could leave. Mm-hmm. They had embargoed Brazil. Mm-hmm. So then you got these black dancers from America trying to figure out how to get home mm-hmm. because they didn't have any more money. Right. And so they started dancing at a club just to keep the money coming. <laughs> just to keep the money coming in. And Norma said that they would wait for uh there was a gentleman named Frankie Manning, uh, who played a large role in keeping it alive in recent you know, in the twenty twentieth century, keeping the dance alive. And but Frankie was the chaperone of the dance company as well as a dancer. In Hell's mm. a Pop, and he's the first one out. And uh, it was his job to chaperone, so they would wait for Frankie to fall asleep. Then they'd climb out the window <laughs> and party all over uh, oh, Rio de Janeiro. Oh, yeah. And uh, they'd get home uh, just before he woke up, get enough sleep to go do the show, <laughs> go do the show, come back, wait for him to fall asleep. So he really loved Brazil because they were there for like two months. <laughs> Before they could get out. Wow. So that's a, he, wow. He loved Nigeria. He loved Nigeria. Um, when he came home from Nigeria, I waited for him to leave. And when he came back, my hair used to be very long. I had this big um, uh, Angela Davis type afro, which mm-hmm. is huge. And I'm, you know, I'm three inches tall. And he comes home <laughs> from Africa, and I'm defiantly waiting for him to say something, you know. And uh, he looks at me and he said, if you were in Nigeria, they would consider your hair is not done. Yeah. What do you mean? He said, oh, he said, they do amazing braids. and Braids are for little girls. And I saw pictures of them having blonde wigs on. He's like, I'm not talking about that Nigeria. 
I'm talking about the real Nigeria. Ah. And he told me about, you know, the ornate, which now we finally caught up. Yeah. Right? But when he looked at the Afro, he was like, he was like, uh, that's not done. <laughs> she just took all all the air out of my heat. Yeah, right. I got this big, beautiful Afro. <laughs> right. Right. Waiting to be defiant. And his comment yeah. was, yeah, you're not finished. Get it done. Right. <laughs> if you want to go there. So then, you know, but him being the kind of dad he was, you know, he went and got me a book. And he, I saw, you know, how they would, you know, do rap with the string and do the ornate beating and I'm like mm-hmm. yeah well nobody around here knows how to do that dad so I'm mm-hmm. just I'm sticking with this right I'm now. good yeah he's like he's like whatever <laughs> <laughs> yes and then the it advantage of a father who's well traveled and what a wonderful father what a wonderful yours. father what a wonderful father you have yeah I, he, I really I mean I'm sure cool that you too. went through some troubling times I'm sure that uh, you know, I'm projecting that probably because of his absence, it was hard to have your father traveling a lot. But man, what he put in you, as they say, what he put right. in you. And, yes. And you know, and what's so amazing is you don't, you're so, uh, you, I, I was so busy being rebellious at mm-hmm. my own person mm-hmm. that I didn't realize I was his exact mirror reflection. Mm-hmm. And it's only when I left New York and came to L.A. and then we we're on the phone one day arguing and then I bust out laughing. I said, this is the way it's always been. I'm, I really am just like you. <laughs> and then he busts out laughing. <laughs> and then, you know, because, I mean, he, he didn't miss, yes, what he put in me. But, but it's only in, in our adulthood. Yeah, it's only in our, indul- in our adulthood as it unfolds that you're like, Whoa, I got mm-hmm. a lot out of this video. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. I'm curious, you were engaged with the Black Panther Party, and, you know, the Black Panther Party has some reputation through the eyes of white America in this country, uh, but you were experienced with it. Tell us from your perspective what you know. Well, the we there were a couple of things that I was primarily connected to, and it was a lot of it because of my youth. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, one of the committees, one of the groups that I worked with was the groups that helped heroin junkies kick dope. So we would we would snatch them off the streets. And um, detox them, and they'd be throwing up and pissing and shitting on themselves. Mm-hmm. And it was our our job to remain compassionate, remain caring. And I think it I think it psychologically bore some influence that it was women and and young women like myself doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece of it that we did was the free breakfast program. Mm-hmm where we would feed kids because, you know, it got institutionalized, but no one was doing that before the Panther Party. Right. Free health clinics in the neighborhood, Mm. free health clinics. It got institutionalized, but no one was doing that before us. Bring your kids. We'll make sure they eat before they go to school. They can come here after school and get tutored. You know, Uh, I, I remember, I remember this guy, who shall remain nameless. He was one of the biggest Coke dealers in my block. Mm -hmm. And he became a Panther, Mm -hmm. you know? And he was major in recruiting dealers and users. Like, and he would say to me, go to college, study economics. The key is economics, you know? And and I'm like, okay, okay. You know, okay, okay. And we did the free breakfast. We did the free healthcare. We did the free legal services when landlords were messing with you. And, you know, we were making a difference. And I remember it was Joanne Little, I believe was her name. I haven't thought of her in a long time. Previous to that, they were just arresting the brothers and beating them and killing them. But then they arrested Joanne. And 
beat her senseless, horribly. And what was their uh, what was their reasoning? Why her? I don't. What remember. did they say? I don't, don't know. Okay, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. I should have looked that up because mm-hmm. she's she, she's been with me lately. I ah. need to go look. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that didn't want to look. She's been mm-hmm. with me lately. I, Mm-hmm. And it was probably triggered by this um, movie. The that movie song, uh, Judas the Black Messiah. Judas the Black Messiah. Yeah, I could, uh-huh. I could, I couldn't finish watching it. It was too close to home. I couldn't. Well, finish I, I, you know, and I wasn't a part of the Black Panther Party. I had a hard time watching it. I had a hard time watching it. My husband finished watching it. He said it was, it was uncomfortable. But you know, the New York Panther Party was started by a New York cop, mm-hmm. a New York undercover cop, is who started the New York. Mm-hmm. French of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And then you had all this division between, you know, Huey Newton in California and Eldridge Cleaver in New York. There was a lot of stuff. And, but but why I left the party was because I was I <laughs> I was hiding guns. Mm. And um and after they beat her, it became very clear to me that I might die. Yes. And uh, and that's why as a 10th grader, I talked my way into this experimental college out on... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Long Island. Mm. And I said, when they said, some people might say you're too young. I went through all the levels. There was a lot of controversy about letting this, six, at this point I'm 16, letting this 16-year-old 10th grader in even though I'd written this, handwritten this 25-page paper about why I need, I need this education and that there's not another damn thing the public school system of New York can give me. Mm-hmm. Let's skip this and mm-hmm. get to what's real. What's real. And, mm-hmm. and this was a very elite kind of college. They only accepted 20 students a year. It was small. The year I attended was only 65 students. The first graduating class that I saw was six. It was its third year. And uh, I will never forget it. I went through all these. The, the average age of the student was 29. I was 16. Mm. So they'd all done something. Mm. One of my best friends had been Dr. King's, one of his deputy chiefs, you know, mm. Christine Day. Uh, and, and so I, finally I get called in to meet the president of the college and he says, there's a lot of controversy about whether or not you should be allowed in here at your age with your life experience. And I said, I don't care what they think. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. And he laughed. And he laughed and he said, you're in. You can handle anything we send you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into State University of New York, College of West Bay. My law instructor, uh, Clayton Jones, was the head lawyer for Dr. King's organization. Or mm. My political science instructor was... Tran Dan Din, who I believe was the ambassador from the side of Vietnam we were fighting against. I mean, they had these geniuses. And that's why in my bio I said where my my understanding of revolution got popped. Because I was I was exposed and I was surrounded by, you know, Vietnam, black Vietnam vets who had a whole different story than you typically hear. Yeah. You know, how they were the first ones when they had to go into a village. They were the first ones. They, they put all the brothers together and send them in. And the Viet Cong would say to them, why are you fighting? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Why, what question. are you doing here? Good question. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I saw 
I saw the Vietnam War just wipe out a whole generation of young black men. I saw it with my own eyes. So, uh, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what is your sense, for lack of a better word, your feeling, your intuitive guidance about where we are right now at this place in history, as far as from the black perspective, where are we? What's being asked of us? Um, to lead. To lead, we, yes. Say that one more time. To lead, yes. To lead. Go ahead, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've wasted, a, 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 maybe it wasn't a waste. We spent time, we spent generations asking the larger community of this country to join us, to yes. get it, to yes. figure it out. Yes. Uh, and, and there were a trickling of those who did. Mm-hmm. I, I think that black women mm. in particular, mm-hmm. we used to think being less would make others more. Mm. And now we have finally decided, I'm not going to be less. Mm-hmm. This is me. This is my power. Yeah. This is what I can do. Yes. And this is what I will do. And we are leading. And I, I look at um, that sister from the Virgin Islands who, who did the, uh, the impeachment hearings. Mm-hmm. She was just masterful. Mm-hmm. And Stacey Adams and Kamala. And the example now is to just lead. And anyone who's not comfortable with it, sit down. Because we're going forward. And what's beautiful, what's beautiful is the young people. Mm-hmm. The young people, for them, it's as natural as breathing in and breathing out. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what their race, gender, or sexual preference is. It's like, oh, black women are leading? Yeah, I'm not going to do that with them. Mm-hmm. I know how to do that with them. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. intimidated. Mm-hmm. They're not asking us to be less than. And we're not being less than. And I believe, I believe that black women aren't making excuses for our power anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not swallowing it down or translating, translating our intent. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Go ask your friends. Don't ask mm-hmm. me. Because right. this is the way I'm going. And it's okay. Yes. You know, I, uh, I marched my little feet off in 2020. I marched. I gave speeches at rallies. I gave more money than I've ever given before to candidates all over the place, all over this country. And, um, and it was worth it. Mm. And it was worth it. But what I also realized is that we have a special gift. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it. And we should use it. And it is our tradition. It's when we get our minds all messed up with the Judeo-Christian definition of what is a man and what is a woman. Mm. That's when we start being less than what we are. But if we look into our historical historical uh, behavior and, and role, this is what we're supposed to do. That's why people got all excited when they saw all those women warriors in, in, in Black Panther, Wakanda. Yes, 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 yes. Because yes. it felt natural. Yes, yes. It's like, yes, that's Absolutely. what we do. Right. We have no problem. Not, not, come on now, let's go forward. So I was, I would, I would be on these marches this year and I would look to the left of me and I'd look to the right of me. I never saw so many white people marching with me. Mm-hmm. Young people saying Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I had my mask on so they couldn't see the tears coming out of my mm. eyes. But I, I, felt, I felt like, look, Dr. King, look. Look what we're doing now. Mm. Look. And we didn't have to shame them to it. They yeah. came here on their own volition. Uh-huh. It's like, stop it. And, and I honestly believe that it is, it is our arts that have bought the respect and connection mm. all over the world. You know, I, I was with 
Debbie Allen for 15 years, helping her build that academy into the, the world-renowned position it now has. We're still still friends. And uh, she would she would go here and go there, and, and she'd come back and meet with us and say, everywhere I go, they want hip-hop. Mm. They're not looking for nothing but hip-hop. <laughs> and it made me think of my dad, uh-huh. you know, because the Lindy Hop of his era was the hip-hop of this era. And isn't yeah. it amazing yeah. that, you know, my son is a hip-hop master mm. who's, who, who's choreographed and won international awards for his dancing, you know? And so it's like, it all comes full circle because it was the Lindy Hop that brought white people to the black clubs. Mm. And it is our music and our art, I believe, that so made these young white kids listen and learn and aspire to get it. Yes. And um, I'm not interested in teaching white people how to not be white. I mean, right. how to not be, you know, racist. I, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have it in me to forgive you for it. Mm. I don't wanna. <laughs> you know, let somebody else do that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, just know it. I mean, at this stage of my life, I think about the times that as an adult, I didn't recognize what was really happening was racism. I thought Absolutely. it was something else. Yes, 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 yes. I get you it. You know, mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. retrospect, I realize, and, and I don't care what community, I don't care if it was the religious community, the corporate world, the nonprofit world. I have experienced racism in every arena I've been a part of. I get it. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, do they get it? Yeah. You know, and if they don't get it, that's okay because I work for myself. Right. And I'm proud to say, not only do I work for myself, all my sons work for themselves. I got three. Mm-hmm. They watch their parents' backs. We ain't never worked mm-hmm. for nobody but ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> mm. Even when I was working with Debbie, I was working for myself. Yes, that's what it's all you know, about. She wrote checks. She wrote checks to my consulting firm. I wasn't an employee. Mm. I don't. I, I, I don't do employee well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and those who do, God bless you, because you know we all got to play our role to to advance. But we all I have think, a role to play. Absolutely. Yeah, we all yeah, have a role and, to play. And and none none are better than others. Just whatever no. you're gonna do, own it. Do own it, it well. And do it well. Yeah. That's right. Because like yes. I I walk through this corporate setting and you know, some people will tell me about, you know, their unhappiness with where they're working and I said, Well, you know what? From a spiritual cause and effect, integrity thing, as long as you're taking that check, you have an obligation to do your job. Right. Do your job, mm-hmm. or they're gonna talk about you, and then mm-hmm. what they say about you is still true. They're gonna blame us all the same way. That's right. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up for the next right. one. Coming. Don't mess it up. Right. That's right. Don't mess it up for that. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, what's happening now is, I'm so appreciative that I believe there is a consciousness that vigilance cannot relax. Mm. In the past, it was, you know, we got our president. We can, we can go to the beach. Now people are understanding. You can't. Uh, social media has done a tremendous amount of harm, but it's also done a tremendous amount of good. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it's keeping people aware that the vigilance can't end. I mean, Georgia is making even more suppressive laws as we speak. That's because right. all the crap they pulled to try to sabotage this election didn't work. Right. So now they're trying to ramp it up even worse. We can't relax. We have to turn Texas. We have to turn Florida. We we cannot relax. And what I love is that people now understand your fight is a national fight. We finally done figured out what the white supremacists have been knowing since we got here <laughs> off the boat. This is not mm-hmm. a local fight. This mm-hmm. is a national fight. And you have to have a national mindset. Mm-hmm. You know? That's and beautiful. if I... If I if I play it my dad's way, you have to have an international mindset. Mm. You know, yes. I'm so fortunate. Yes. I'm so fortunate because of the Lindy community. I have friends all over the world now. Mm-hmm. You know, and 
they they hit the streets about George Floyd just like we did. They were outraged mm-hmm. just like we were. Absolutely, all over the world, all yeah. over the world. And so, so we do we, have to have a global, international mindset. You must, or you, yes. or, or or you get lost. Yes, or you get lost, and and as Americans, they're watching us. Our our people internationally are watching us and hoping because they believe what we achieve, they can achieve. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Denise, this has been an amazing conversation. This is just, uh, we could go on and on and on because there's just such a wealth. (laughs) It's just, this is beautiful. And the bottom line of what you just said, all of it is we need each other. We need each other. We have to do this together. We, black people, right. we need each other. Yes. And, and it is our time to do it differently and to do it. And women. And, and women. And, be, and women. Be your power. Yeah. Be your power. Don't be afraid. Because if you have a real man, your power is going to turn him on, not off. Mm-hmm. Say that again. 43 years. Right. Yeah, if you got a real man, your years. power is sexy. Yes. Your yes. power is sexy, girl. That's don't, right. Don't smother. Then know but it. If you know do, it. So, mm-hmm. sooner or later, you're going to choke him out because he didn't know <laughs> it was coming. So don't change the rules midstream. Right. All of a sudden, show your power and get mad. Right. Be who you are from, from the gate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of you. And it's I have to wonderful. tell you, you go hug that grandson of yours, girl. He just ah! makes my heart sing. <laughs> he makes my and heart sing every time I see a picture of him. <laughs> He's amazing. He really is. I tell you, I tell you sometimes, I just, I just start looking at my photos and laughing. Yeah. He's just a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm going to see him again in May. Yeah, I got my first COVID shot, mm-hmm. and uh, I get my next one, and I'm I'm getting on that plane to see my little grandbaby. He's in Texas. And where is he? Where is so, it? Texas, you said? Uh, uh, Dallas. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, well, they're, thank you, Denise. they're having fun. Thank you so yeah. much for having thank me. Thank you been great so time. much for doing this and for being a part and for sharing some history during this Black History Month that really is Black History Life every day. Yes. Every absolutely. day. Absolutely. Yeah. You take good care. Right. You look fabulous, darling. And so do you. <laughs> okay, take care. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.